Church is important. And um, church is amazing. It has the potential to do a lot of good in people's lives. It has the potential to be a community where people's lives are changed, uh, to serve a city and a community, uh, to make an impact on people's lives. Uh, But church also has the potential of doing harm to people too. Uh, Church has the potential of causing trauma in people's life and hurting people. In a room like this with this many people, um, I would assume that there are people here who've had hurt from a church before, who carry trauma, and who might be even carrying that in with them today. And so why is church important? Um, Why? This morning, I want to look at the Bible and look to what God's Word says about that very thing. And we're looking at a passage in 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a church planner uh, in the first century, a Christian leader. And he wrote the book of 1 Timothy to a guy named Tim- uh, to a man named Timothy, who was a young pastor who was often prone to insecurity and to fear, which is probably why I like the book so much and kind of resonates with me personally. Um, and he was writing this book to help him uh, know how he should align his church to God's heart and to figure out how to have a healthy church. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 16. It's one of the passages today that um, we honestly, uh, you know, we can read it in a moment and kind of skip over it if we're not careful. Just three verses today. And if you need a Bible, by the way, one of our ushers uh, can grab one. Just raise your hand. They'll come around. We want everyone to have God's word. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, um, just take one of ours. It's our gift to you. And, uh, and take it home with you. You can always look on the screens, uh, but then as well, uh, use your phone if you need to as well. So 1 Timothy 3, 5, uh, 14 through 16. Let me get, begin reading. Paul's writing here. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. There are three verses in this passage, and we're going to get to four points about why the church matters. Y'all with me? Good. I'm trying to dodge... You guys on the pole over here, I'm learning to figure out how to do this and navigate this, so we're, we're making it work. Um, but First Timothy 3, verse 14, Paul writes again, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so, so that if I am delayed, you will know. Um, the first point about why the church is important is because it's important to God. Duh. It's like, is that the trump card, Aaron? Like, is that it? Um, the church is still important because it is still important to Jesus. Now, maybe we have forgotten that, or maybe we've trivialized that, or maybe we've overlooked that. But the church is still important because it's still important to Jesus. And Paul writes these words, and he's really excited. He says to Timothy, Timothy, I'm going to come visit you. I'm going to come hang out with you, Timothy. Um, And before uh, I arrive, I want you to know, I'm going to write this letter to you about why the church is really important. You see, the church was still in its infancy. Um, It had only been around 20 to 40 years since Jesus resurrected, and there were some false teachers and some false ideas floating around uh, in Paul's day, in the church day, and um, it was causing problems. 
Uh, it was causing problems in the church and what people thought about Jesus. And these false teachers and false ideas could have derailed what Jesus wanted to set up when he resurrected. And so the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to, to write these words about why the church is so important. Uh, he wants Paul to bring clarity to where there was confusion in Paul's day. But the Holy Spirit would also know that in 2020 and now in 2022, that the church, God's people, would still need clarity out of confusion. Am I right? We still need to know this. And so the Bible gives us several metaphors for why the church is important to Jesus. The first one is the most important. It's found in Ephesians. It says the, the, the church, the people, are Jesus' bride. They're like his bride. They're not literally his bride, but they're like his bride. And Jesus has made his vows on the cross. And he's not going to give up on the church. He's committed to the church like a great husband to a wife or a wife to a husband. They are committed to each other. And that is great news for us. It's great news because Jesus has not given up on the church. Despite what you see in America, despite what you hear, Jesus has not given up on the church. He loves the church. He loves you. He loves us. He loves the church in its many forms and, uh, dare I say, its many imperfections, right? Because there's a lot of imperfections because we're imperfect people. And Jesus loves its imperfections and its many forms, whether a meeting in a room like this or a home or in India in the slums or in Africa in a village. God loves its many forms and its many imperfections. That's good news for us today. The Bible also says the church is like a building. It's not literally a building. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's like a building, and it's also like a field. Not one of those fields, but more like the old school fields when they had crops here, right? And the Bible says that Jesus is like a builder, and he's like a farmer. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, um, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, or Peter said back to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Um, and, and Jesus replied back, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is still building his church. He's still active. He's still committed. And so the first reason why the church is important is because it's still important to Jesus. It's still important to him. Now we get to, in verse 15, why it's important to Jesus. Paul says again, If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now, this is a loaded verse. Like, a lot's going on there right? But Paul outlines why the church is important to Jesus, and he gives three reasons, three P words for anybody who's a teacher. I got you. Number one, because the church is God's people, because the church is filled with God's presence, and because the church is the pillar of truth. I'll say that again. The church is important to Jesus for three reasons. It's God's people filled with his presence, the Holy Spirit, who have the pillar of truth. And the Greek word here in verse 15 for household, he says God's household, is oikos, which means family. The church is like a family. Um, and family's all about belonging, right? That's what it's all about. Just like these beautiful families up here a moment ago. Family's all about belonging. Belonging to a family is how we form our deepest identity and how we see ourselves. How we feel about ourselves gets shaped from our earliest experiences in our family. And the church is a place where God's people belong and treat each other as if they were family. And the church is a place that we get to grow in our identity as Christians. And the Bible gives several phrases 
to who we are, to our identity as followers of Jesus. We're told that we're a new creation. You're a new creation. If you are a Christian, the old is gone. The past is gone. There's no condemnation. You are a new creation. The Bible says that you're now ambassador. That everywhere we go, if you're a, a, a Christian, that you spread God's love wherever, wherever, wherever you go. The Bible says as well that you're beloved, that God loves you unconditionally, like that prodigal son story that Kristen shared. You're beloved. And most importantly, the Bible says that we are children of God. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of God, just like that story of the prodigal, just embracing the son even after leaving him. And let me just echo these truths for each one of us today. Um, you belong, okay? And just, just to hear that. I don't know where you hear that, but you need to hear it at the church. That you belong here. And you belong, number one, because you're made in God's image and you're valuable to him. And you belong because if you're a Christian, you are now a son or a daughter of God and God declares you his. You belong to him. And you belong as a reality. That is true. But it's also something that we grow into as well. See, our mission statement here at Friends Church is that we are becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change the world. We're becoming. It's not done yet, right? Like, we belong as a reality, but then we are becoming. It takes time. Something I've learned through the process of church planning is this, that you cannot microwave this community. Like, I have wanted to push 15 seconds and get out a nice bean and cheese burrito. It takes time, right? Amen? Like, when is this stuff going to happen? When is this going to happen? When are, when are we going to do this? Like, oh, man, like, it, it's more like a 10-minute, you know, cr- you know, a nice cooked meal rather than a microwave meal. It takes time. We are becoming a community of authentic Christ followers. A crock pot, yeah. Um, it reminds me of a man named Rick uh, that I met years ago. Rick was the head detective in all of Anaheim in the police force. And Rick and his wife showed up at our church, and they sat kind of in the middle, kind of right over here, um, and I went over to them and said hi, and I don't think they wanted to talk to anybody. They were just kind of visiting, wanted to kind of lay low, you know, and I said hi to them, found out that, uh, uh, that he was a former detective, had retired, and he said to me, you know, I don't go to church very often. In fact, I feel pretty uncomfortable here. I don't know if that describes anybody in this room, but you're not alone in that description. He had never got involved in church. He had just retired from his, um, his duties. And so he was coming to church, wanting to get involved. A few months later, he joined a house community, a, a little a Bible study in a home. And then he began to serve on a Sunday morning team. And just as you would imagine, he went on the security team, right? Like that's the guy who can do a good job. <laughs> so Rick's got a little badge and a, and a thing, and he's walking around. He heard that our church was going to plant a church in Anaheim, so he joined the watch team jumped on there, and he, since that was his old turf, right, he uh, became the security guy for the new church plant. And then after a while, he came back, and he began to volunteer for our friend's Christian elementary school um, in the morning. Not paid, just volunteer. And so at 7 a.m., when my wife is teaching in the classroom, and I drop our kids off, or one of the days I drop them off, she usually drops them off, um, (laughs) when I'm up there, uh, I see Rick, and he's got his badge on, He's, he's, he's waving at everybody, smiling everybody, making sure all the parents know this is a safe place because Rick is there doing security. And after he, um, he got involved, he came to me and he gave me a little coin. 
And he gave me a coin because it was something that he used to give to citizens in this city who had done a good job. And he said, Aaron, I want to give you this coin. And it's a reflection that when you said hi to me that first time, that was the, the reason I got involved. He said, you saw me, and my life wouldn't be where it is now if I hadn't gotten belonged and got involved in this church. And so that's the joy that we get to have as people who get to belong to this place. It's a community of people just like this that we get to grow in our identity as Christ followers and come to know him together. And we, as God's people, get to remind each other every time we gather who we are to God. Um, one of our pastors, Kyle, at our Orange campus and his wife, Holiday, they started a conference uh, called Brave. And it's geared to helping young adult women understand their identity as Christians, young adult women. And we know that our culture loves to kind of overlay identities on all of us, identities that do not belong. And every week that, that we come together, every one of us comes in here probably carrying some identities that you should not be carrying. I am what I have in my bank account. I, ha I am my, my job title. Uh, I am my past failures. Uh, I am, uh, you know, uh, what I drive. Uh, I, I am, et cetera, et cetera. You, you name it. I am uh, single. I am married. Whatever it is, our culture wants to put on an identity on you. But the most important identity is the one that we talk about here, which is who you are to God. Who you are to God is the one identity and what he thinks about you and how he sees you. That's the one identity that we want to build up here so that when you walk out of here, and the culture tries to tell you who you are, you can say, no, 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 that's not who I truly am. This is who I am. This is who I am. Amen? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't plan on that, but that's amazing. Thank you. Um, uh, the church uh, is a place we grow in our identity. Secondly, it says the church is a place of the living God in the passage, verse 15, which is the church of the living God. What this means is that the church, God's people, are now filled with his presence, the Holy Spirit. And this was a radical statement for Paul to make. He was a Jew, and if you knew anything about uh, the history of the Bible, the Holy Spirit dwelt where? Quiz time. Where'd the Spirit dwell in the Old Testament? In the temple. I see that. Good job. In the temple, in a single building, usually in one room, in the Holy of Holies, and one time per year, some really holy guy, the high priest, would go in, make a sacrifice, and come out. But now, Paul says, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in a building he now lives and resides in God's people. And we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit in April when we do our Alpha Course. But the Holy Spirit is God's presence, his life-giving presence, and now he dwells in each one of us. And that's an amazing thing. Jesus said this in John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That's important. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit now resides in each one of us, no longer in a place, but now in a people. And looking at that temple, Jesus in Matthew 21, 13, he said, looked, he looked at the temple, the building, he said, my people, my house will be a house of prayer. So God's people now filled this presence, we marked with, a, with, with prayer and worship to God. So God's people filled this presence. And finally, are, they are people who have the pillar of truth. That's what Paul says. The church has the pillar of truth. The church has 
God's plan for, for us, God's plan for humanity. Um, one of our values here at Friends Church Eastvale is that we believe God's word, the Bible, is God's word. It's inspired and that it's the foundation for everything we teach. And we want you to know this. Friends, I want you to have a physical Bible with you. I love seeing the pages of Scripture turn. I love that. That's a good. But I want you to read this and to know this. Let me just say that the teaching of the Bible and the teacher are not inspired. The Bible is inspired. The communication of the Bible is not inspired. The Bible is inspired. And so we invite people to actually test what's said on the stage and make sure it's actually what the Bible teaches. Anybody who says anything from the stage, we encourage you to look and see, is that really what the Bible teaches? I love getting emails. I got an email from Stephen earlier this week asking me questions about a passage. That's the best kind of email, Stephen. Thank you. Because it's like, I know people are digging in deep wanting to know what the scripture says. We want that. And so Paul says the Bible is a pillar. And a pillar in Paul's day was um, something that held up a building. Um, The truth, he says, is a load-bearing wall. Has anyone done any construction in their house during uh, the last couple of years? Anybody? A couple of you? Well, you know, and I know there's a lot of guys in here who know how to build things, a lot of great people who are good at that kind of stuff. And you know, a contractor will come in your house and they'll say, you can, you can knock that wall down, that wall down, but that one you can't because it's a load-bearing wall. And if you knock the load-bearing wall down, you risk the whole roof collapsing on top of you, right? And what this metaphor is saying is that if we remove the truth of God's word from our lives, we risk the chance of something collapsing in our lives. My friend Megan, uh, who's committed to praying for our church, wrote me this this week about this very idea. She said this, I was away from the church in 2020, and I found being away weakens you. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped praying. I started hanging out with the wrong people. But when I came back, I found myself more deep in prayer. A friend of mine, MJ, she's here today, gave verses for me to read at nighttime. And now I am deep in my devotions. And there was definitely a shift when I came back. I don't know if anybody else can resonate with that. But that's a really good testimony. And my friend Megan began to experience what happened when she left. It was a, a little bit of a collapse. She started seeing something kind of cave in. And let me just say, it's not just Megan who experienced that. You know, our culture is going through a culture-wide collapse. You see it in pockets and places. And one of the reasons why so much of our culture is collapsing is because we've removed the pillar of truth. We've removed truth from our culture. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. So the two reasons, number one, church is important because it's important to God. Number two, because it's God's people filled with his presence who have the pillar of truth. Um, one of my mentors years ago was talking to his son, and he said, uh, and his son said to his, tr- his dad, Dad, when are we going to go to church? And uh, my mentor, in a very fatherly way, said back to him, well, son, we don't go to church. We go to be with the church. Now, I'm sure his son rolled his eyes like you are to me right now, <laughs> right? Like, oh, Dad, come on. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of self-righteousness in that, right? But there is some, some truth in it, because language matters and words matter. Um, and you can see the difference, right? You see, for too long, we've defined the church as a place where? A place where I get good donuts, maybe, you know, that are gone. Um, a place where I get great worship. A place where uh, 
I drop my kids off, which is good. These are all good things. But a place where I get mediocre preaching. Sorry, everybody. But um, a place where. And, but the church isn't a place where. You see, the church isn't a place where we just, you know, fall back into the consumerism of our culture. The church isn't a concierge service where we get all of our needs met when, when we want, how we want, whenever we want. Going back to that passage in Matthew 21, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And then he said a scathing rebuke to people like me, to religious leaders. He said, but you've made it a den of robbers. In other words, at the temple where Jesus was, they'd begun to buy and sell goods. And they were all around the temple. And Jesus says, you made it a den of robbers. And he goes around and he starts flipping over tables, right? And he gets really angry. And he did that because the temple had become a place where a place where people just bought and sold goods. And because they become a place where, it had lost its influence, it had lost its power, it had lost its ability to serve the marginalized and the vulnerable in their community, and it lost its ability to really give God glory. And so he says, you know, you've made it a den of robbers. And, I, you know, I just speculate. I just, this is probably my opinion. But I wonder if at times... We've made the church a place where and just fed the individualistic consumer mentality that we get at Best Buy and Walmart and all these other places. And there's a lot of good in that. But ideally, the church isn't a place where. It's a people who. It's a people who treat each other like family, who are filled with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and a people who now have the pillar of God's truth. It's not a place where it's a people who. The third reason why the church is important is because God loves the world. And he wants us as a church to go serve the world in all of its needs and all of its brokenness. See, there's three problems going on in our world right now. Three problems, they're all P words as well for any teachers. Here they are. We live in a post-family age, a post-Christian age, and a post-truth age. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that our culture no longer values family like they once did. And there's been a radical shift towards the individual self and fulfilling the individual self. We live in a post-Christian world. And what that means is that there's a negative response in our culture, our secular culture, to anything about Jesus, the Bible, or Christian values. And the reason there's a a negative response oftentimes is because Christianity tends to be more exclusive than inclusive. And in a desire for a more inclusive world, which I think Christianity is really inclusive in a lot of ways, in Islam misunderstanding around that, in a desire to aim for that, our culture has lost its ability to find truth. And truth is really important. And we have, as a culture, lost an agreed-upon foundation for determining right from wrong. We've lost an agreed-upon foundation for determining good from evil and bad. We've lost that foundation. And the foundation was Jesus' teachings in the Bible. Do unto others as you would want done to you. The foundational truths of love your enemies, love your neighbor, those were Jesus' teachings, the greatest teachings ever. But we as a church, as God's people, with God's presence, with the pillar of truth, can now serve the world. In a post-family age, we get to be a united, diverse community that loves one another and treats each other with respect because we're now under Jesus. In a post-Christian era, we now have a tangible power in the Holy Spirit that's not exclusive to any tribe, but is for every person who says yes to Jesus. 
And in a post-truth world, we now have access to the greatest teachings. Jesus' teachings are the, no one's ever improved on Jesus' teachings. You've got to read them if you haven't before. They're amazing. We now get a chance to point people to these wonderful teachings that can really bring people purpose in life and their, in, in their lives and family. And so those are the three reasons. Last one, though. Paul finishes this passage, and he kind of finishes it in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a rather strange way. He says this, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness exists is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on the world, was taken up in glory. What is going on? Well, Paul finishes this passage in kind of, a, kind of an interesting, kind of vague way. But what he says in verse 16 is this, that, uh, that the church only exists because of Jesus. Uh, it only springs out of Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the little description of Jesus is actually one of the first Christian songs, hymns that we have. Uh, they used to sing this in the first uh, church, uh, first Christian church. And uh, what Paul is trying to say is that the church is sourced in Jesus. He's also saying that worship of Jesus is the best offensive weapon the church has. And then finally what he's saying is that the church is important is because when we gather we focus on Jesus in a way that cannot happen when we're alone. Why is the church important? Number four, because when we gather together, Jesus takes the focal point. Jesus takes the focal point. And he takes the focal point in a way that does not happen when it's just me and Jesus in the car or me and Jesus at work. When we're together like this, this is incredible. Like, look around. Five months ago, this wasn't even here. God's people coming together to worship Jesus. It takes on a focal point that doesn't exist if we're alone. Um, back in the day when this was all farmland, uh, farmers had to, had to plant their, 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 their crops. They wanted really nice straight lines, you know, to get the most use out of their property as possible, you know? And in order, ever wondered how they did that, right? Like, how did they make them so straight? Well, they had probably fancy ways now, but back in the day, uh, the way a farmer made his crops nice and clean was by fixing his eyes on one place in front of him. And um, so I'm looking at Adam over here, right? And I'm just staring at, at Adam's gorgeous face back there. And, um, and I'm looking, and if I'm a farmer, and if I just keep my, my eyes fixed on Adam and I push the plow or drive the tractor, you're guaranteed to have nice straight rows if you do that. But if a farmer you know, is looking straight and they begin to plow and they get distracted by the mountains, and they're looking around, they will always make curvy lines with their plow, right? And so what Paul is saying in verse 16 is this, that if every individual here, and if we corporately as a church, fix our eyes on Jesus, then what God wants for this church will actually happen. Like, that's the point. And we may have highs and lows, we may suffer, but the growth is in the suffering, right? Amen? Like, and there's good peaks, that's awesome. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, fixed on him ahead of us, he's the focal point. Everything that God wants for this community will actually take place. And, um, and I'm committed uh, to focusing us on Jesus every single time we gather. That's the, that's the focus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So why is the church important today? Number one, because it's still important to God. Number two, because it's God's people filled with his presence who have the pillar of truth. Number three, because God loves the world and we're called to serve the world. And number four, because when we gather together, Jesus takes on the focal point. Now, um, Paul says in the passage, he writes this so that everyone would know how to conduct themselves with God or, or in the church with God. 
And so how do we live this out? Just a few application points. And I want to talk about this church specifically as we go forward. Number one, today, can we make the shift from a place where to a people who? Can we mentally make that shift that this becomes a place, a people who we grow in our identity as followers of Jesus, that we grow in understanding of God's word and Jesus, and we grow in understanding what it means to have his presence. Let's make the mental shift and begin to think the church isn't a place where, but a people who. And then I want to talk about where we're going as a church. I want to talk for a moment about the next steps of this, of this community. Um, and God's given us some biblical convictions of how he wants us to lead this church. And, and so because of this passage, I want to share a few of those just to help communicate where we're going over the next several weeks and months and, and maybe years as well, which is kind of fun. Number one, um, because we are God's people, we want you to regularly gather here with God's people to focus on Jesus. Because we are God's people, we want to invite you to come belong here and focus on Jesus. What I want for each person here is to have a church home. I want everyone here to have a a place, a Christian community, a people that you belong to, that you grow in your identity as a Christian and come to know how he thinks about you. Um, You know when you're dating somebody, do you ever, you know what the DTR is? You know, define the relationship? Ronnie, you know what that is? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So when you're dating somebody, you, if you, you sit down, you have, a, you, have a, you have a DTR, a define the relationship talk, where you say, hey, we've been dating for a while. I like you. Do you like me? I say, yes. I did this many times with Krista. Um, hey, you should be dating a better guy. Um, you're out of my league. Yeah, are you sure? You know, it's like happened every other day. No, just kidding. Um, I want to have a DTR with y'all. So um, February 20th is our launch date, and I want to invite you all back. Um, and I want to ask you on February 20th, if this is your, where you live, I know there's people supporting us from our, our home church in Yorba Linda who live out in OC, but if this is your area and you've been visiting for a while, I want to ask you if you would pray and make this your church home. I want to ask you if you would pray to Jesus about having a place, a people, See, it's even ingrained in me. A people who you can belong to and you can grow in your identity and you can be built up in the pillar of truth and how to know God and his presence. And I want you to go home and talk to God, talk to your spouse, your roommates, take counsel in your own soul. And February 20th, I'm going to give out an invitation to receive Christ for anybody who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm also going to invite people to commit to this place as the, the people that they belong to. And so I want everyone to have a church home. Now, it might not be this place. It might, might not be this community, this people. Um, you may have a home church already. That's awesome. Maybe you're here because you want to be part of a kingdom work because being part of a church plant is kind of cool and fun, and it is. Um, but if you have a community you call your church home already, I want to ask you on behalf of Jesus, I would be doing him a disservice if I didn't say this, to give them your best. Amen. Give them your finest, your, your treasure, your talent, Give me your best. And whatever's left, come back and help serve if that's what God's called you to. But if God's calling you to make this people, this community, your home, give this your best. Give this your best time, your treasure, your talent, your gifts, everything that you have. Make it your home. 
Number two, because we are filled with God's presence, we want you to become more like Jesus. Who you're becoming is the most important part of who you are. Your character is the most important part of who you are. And I want every person here in this place to look more like Jesus by how you love other people next year than compared to this year. And that means we have to go underneath the surface of life, right? Our world is so surfacey. We want to go deeper. And we believe that that will happen best in a transformational relationship with Jesus. I want all of you to spend 10 to 30 minutes every day reading the Bible and having quiet prayer. Not distracted prayer, not prayer in the car. I want you to have a chair at home where you can hear God's voice. And he can speak to you. And you can lay down your burdens and hear from him. And then I want every person here to disciple one person or one group every year of their life to give back and invest in somebody, invest in a marriage, invest in a group, invest in a child, invest in another person, because that's what Jesus calls us to, is to play it forward, right? And then thirdly, because we have the pillar of truth and we can serve the world, we want you to go into the world and serve it and share Jesus. I want everybody here to serve and to go into the world. God's put three areas of need in the Inland Empire on our hearts, and we want to serve those areas. Number one, it's foster kids and foster families. We we feel very deeply about that need in our area. And if any of you are like passionate about that, awesome. We want to partner with you in that. Number two, we want to serve first responders. And number three, we want to, we want to serve athletes and coaches because, duh, like we're here, um, right? Um, and, uh, and that's the Mecca is right here before us. Um, and we, so we want to serve those three areas of need because we believe those areas of need are a place where we can bring Jesus and point them to Jesus and love them. Um, and I want all of you all to be part of that. We also want you to go by loving your neighbors who don't know Jesus and loving your coworkers. And when the Spirit of God opens the door, um, to invite them here and uh, to invite them to our Alpha course. Our Alpha course is a dinner conversation, a very open, transparent conversation about faith, life, God, and Jesus. Every question is on the table. Every opinion counts. It's like, just say what's on your mind about Christianity We'll absorb it. We'll hear it. And we just want to um, listen to people over dinner. And so we invite everybody from our community to that. And so we're going to do that in April. That's what we want. Why is the church important? It's important to God, God's people, his presence, the pillar of truth, to serve the world. And then number three, because it focuses on Jesus. And I want to ask you, I want to give you kind of a, you know, your, um, what's the phrase I wrote down here? Um, Your call to action. Here's your call to action. Go home. Talk to your spouse, your loved ones, your neighbor, uh, not your neighbor, maybe you talk to your neighbor about what church you go to. That's great. Um, but, and, and just pray about making this community your home church. We would love that. Um, I want to wrap this up and invite our team up for some worship. And the way that we're going to conclude today is we've been fasting over the last 21 days. That's why the donuts are all gone, okay? Um, um, uh, it's true. Yeah, it is true. Um, we've been doing a bunch of different fasts, and typically during fasting seasons, we fast um, during times of repentance. And, uh, and as we conclude today, I want to just invite us into worship, and maybe there's three areas that we might have a conversation with God about. Just so you know, the reason why we have worship at the end of a service isn't to make a nice, tidy little thing at the end. It's so that we can have a conversation with Jesus. This is a time for you, before football begins today, 
to talk to God. When you're at work, you don't have that time. When it's busy, you don't have that time. This is a time for you and Jesus to say, hey, Lord, here's what's on my heart. And so, you know, three areas that God's put on my heart to share with you. Number one, maybe we need to corporately and individually repent of how we've made the church a place where instead of a people who. You know, sometimes I get stressed out about church, but when I think about you all, my love just grows. When I think about the people, when I think about my, my man Chris Miano in the back, when I think about Ron and Keith, who found out I was working for Starbucks this week, and they dropped off a, a, a Daniel Fass-approved meal, just swung by in the minivan, dropped it off, and left. I felt like I belonged to this city when you did that. Thank you. That was amazing. And I got it, yeah, amazing. And maybe we've turned the church into a place where we need to become a people who. Maybe we also might need to begin the process of healing from any trauma or baggage we're carrying from other churches. Aaron, you're going to talk about that? Yeah. Because I know that we come in with wounds. And wounds might not be healed right today, but today you might make a commitment to say, Jesus, would you examine any pain and hurt that I'm carrying from previous church experiences? And I believe that it begins with forgiveness. Let me just say out of love, I don't want your hurt here. I want your healing here. We want you to find healing in this place, to find a a community you belong to. And then finally, maybe it's time to take a step in. Uh, This next week, we're going to have a 72-hour virtual prayer room open, and we want to make this place a place of prayer. And so you can go online and sign up for an hour, a 30-minute window, a 15-minute window. Maybe that's your space to pray about whether or not this is your community. But we want you to pray for the launch of this church on February 20th, that we would be aligned to God's will and God's heart. We have a lot of things to work out. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. As you get to know me, you'll find that out more and more. But we want to just open our hands up to Jesus and say, Lord, you have it. Like, this is yours. We're only here because he's called us here. And we want to align ourselves to him and for what he has for us. Amen? Amen. So would you stand with me? Let's pray and, um, and worship to Jesus. God, we love you.